1: hey everybody how's it going welcome back to the chronicles of a guna podcast our first episode of 2024 want to wish you all a very happy and healthy new year hope you all enjoyed the celebrations last night i hope you've all enjoyed the christmas period in general putting aside of course. Arsenal's results of late, which haven't been great. Um, The latest poor result, the latest defeat came, of course, yesterday on New Year's Eve. That trip to Craven Cottage ended in misery for Mikel Arteta's side. And he described it as a sad day. He was really, really downbeat, really, really disappointed by what he'd seen unfold in front of him. It was a big opportunity for Arsenal to bounce back after a rare home defeat at the hands of West Ham on the Thursday. The opportunity was there on the Sunday to go out there and put it right. And Arsenal couldn't do it. And as a result, probably now find themselves in a top four race, as well as in that race for the title. Now, when I say that, this is where it can become all a little bit too knee-jerk, right? So I say they're in a top four race, because mathematically, there are a number of teams close to one another, which means that when you look at Arsenal's position now, you know, you would say that they're in the top four race, but they're not out of touch of the league leaders, Liverpool, who are in action tonight. Of course, they have a chance to extend that lead. They haven't played yet at the time of recording. But the point I'm trying to make is that you can package things up in whatever way you want to suit your narrative. So I could sit here and say that Arsenal are in the title race, which is true, and others could sit there and say, well, Arsenal are now in the top four race, which is also true, but doesn't make the first statement any less true. Do you see what I mean? This is where I've got an issue with the way these things are framed, with the narratives, and with the way our club has been spoken about. Not just by people outside of Arsenal Football Club and outside of Arsenal circles. I expect Sky to hammer us. I expect um, BBC pundits to hammer us. I expect rival fan channels to laugh at us. I expect all of that. That's par for the course. That's how it goes. The bit that has gotten under my skin is the reaction from some Arsenal fans particularly online um, and of course on channels and on podcasts and all the rest of it. I just think the reaction to yesterday's defeat has been so disproportionate to what's actually happened. In fact, I'd go as far as saying that it's embarrassing. I would use that word because I genuinely think that some people have shown their true colours. Some people have let the mask slip. Oh, you know, I'm okay with Mikel Arteta as long as the Arsenal are doing well. But the first sign of trouble at the first sign of a dip in form. What happens? It's get him out. He's useless. I've always said that he's not the right manager. I've been saying it for three years. I've been saying it for four years. What a load of old nonsense. Those people have had to bite their tongues for the best part of two years now and have been waiting for this opportunity. Waiting for this opportunity to have a go at the manager to say that he's the reason um solely that Arsenal are not performing in the way they'd like we and we'd like them to at the moment. Those same people, you know, tried to make this same noise at the end of last season when our title challenge in the end fell apart. But fortunately, Arsenal fans were smart enough, the vast majority anyway, to look at how it all kind of fell apart at the end of last season and say, "Okay, we were really unlucky because we lost Saliba. We lost Tomiyasu at the same time. We were without Thomas Partey. Um, at points in the running. We had a, a period of three months without Gabriel Jesus. You know, Tommy Asu had fitness issues at various points in the season. It, you know, it was good to see that at the end of last season, although there was an air of disappointment and a feeling of disappointment, as you'd expect there to be when you lead the league for that long, the general consensus was that Arsenal were unlucky and people were pleased and positive about the progress made. And off the back of a few disappointing results now, some of those people um, that were trying to peddle that narrative last season and it just didn't really catch on um, are out there doing it again. Um, Let me say a few hellos uh, to some of you guys in the live chat. There's loads of you with us. Don't forget, if you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video. Please do subscribe uh, to the channel if you are new. Um, Luke says, you're generalizing once again, Harry. Yeah, I am going to generalise when it comes to those particular people that I'm talking about. When it comes to that group of fans, I am going to generalise because they do it every single time we slip up. And, you know, it's, it's boring. It's annoying. It's frustrating. It's the last thing you want to hear after your team's just dropped vital points. You know, instead of looking at what Arsenal could be doing better and coming up with constructive analysis, it's just all sack Arteta. You know why? Because I don't like him. Because I didn't like him three years ago. And I can't bring myself to admit that he's done a good job um, because that would mean that I was wrong in the first place. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep peddling that narrative. And when opportunities like this come along to really push it out there again, I'm going to do that. So, yeah, I am generalizing when it comes to those those particular people. I think there are far more sensible and wired-in Arsenal fans out there that understand some of the context around what's going on at the moment. And we're going to talk about some of that context. That's the exact purpose um, uh, of this podcast. But as Salah Hedin says, it's just boring to hear Arteta out at any sign of trouble. It's boring. You know, Manchester City have you know, had a questionable start to the season. That's why so many have been saying that Arsenal are going to win the league this year. Now I've always said that Man City are more than good enough to turn that around and that I still expect them to go on and win the Premier League. But I didn't at any point hear any Man City fans, A, panicking. B questioning Pep Guardiola. It it, it doesn't happen. You know why it doesn't happen? Because they trust him. They trust him because he's got the track record. Mikel Arteta hasn't been in the game long enough to have that type of track record and he hasn't um, got the same uh, resources at his disposal as uh, as Manchester City do. Now, people will say, well, Arteta spent a lot of money in recent years and he has. He has. The club have backed him. They have supported him. But they needed to turn around the squad completely. And that's why so much investment was needed. And even still, you know, you can say Chelsea have spent a billion pounds, but their squad's still not as good as Manchester City's, is it? So it isn't always as as clear cut as that, you know, and I I just hate the fact that when we hit a bad patch and and we had a couple of bad patches last season, this is our first bad patch this season results wise. I agree that we haven't always performed very well this season. And I've been one of the first people to say that. And I've asked questions about certain decisions that Mikel Arteta has made. And I think you're well within your rights as fans to do that. And I think everybody's within their rights to question certain decisions and ask if they are decisions that have had a positive or negative impact on the team going forward. I've got no issue with that. I've got no issue with people saying that the goalkeeping uh, situation that Mikel created by bringing David Raya in um, was unnecessary. I've got no issue with people that say um, that Kai Havertz coming into the midfield has changed the balance of our midfield. And maybe that is you know, caused us to be a different side this year. I think that's a fair and valid point. I don't have a problem with a lot of the sensible discussions that take place around some of the decisions that our manager has taken at the start of this season. And of course, during the course of the summer transfer window, I am fine with that. Let me be clear. That is not my issue. My issue is with the Arteta out lot. And oh my God, the season is over on the 1st of January. There's no point. Um, in continuing. We can't win the league. We can't win the Champions League. We can't win the FA Cup. Well, what the bloody hell is the point? If that's how you feel about it, why don't you find something else to do in 2024? Save yourself a load of anger. Save yourself a load of frustration. I, I just don't get it. I don't get why people actively want to be negative. If we were in this rut over a longer period of time and we did end up falling away from the top of the table, quite significantly then I would say okay I get it I really really do but at this point it's just way way too early it really really is way too early and what it tells me is that although some of those people were pretending that last season they were right behind the team that they loved everything that the team stood for that they believed in the spirit and all of that actually It wasn't that deep for them, was it? Because they've been able to change their minds and lose that affection and love and support that they had for that team over the period of, what, a month? It's just, to me, it's wild. It really, really is. Um, Somebody mentioned to me earlier on that, you know, Liverpool have the opportunity to go further clear at the top of the table tonight. Of course, they do. They can go on to 45 points, which will put us five points behind them. Yeah, but we've got Liverpool to come to the Emirates soon you know and we've been to Anfield already and if we can beat them we can significantly cut that gap so there's plenty to play for there's plenty still to fight for please do not fall into that trap of uh, of, of just being constantly negative overwhelmingly negative and having no interest and no um willingness to listen to the context or um you know understand the context around some of what we're seeing at this moment in time um It's just one of those things, right? We're either on top of the world as a fan base or we're in the deepest depths of a crisis. Like there is no in between. And that's the bit that I think really, really frustrates me. People are, as I say, within their rights to be concerned, but some of the revisionism and some of the flip-flopping of opinions is quite frankly embarrassing and a joke. I heard somebody say on a podcast this morning that We should sign Olivier Giroud back and that will fix us. That will sort us out. That will get us back to the top of the table. And that will be the difference between Arsenal winning the league and not winning the league. This is the same Olivier Giroud that this same group of fans hounded out of the football club and were rejoicing when he left the football club because why? He didn't score enough goals. So if you're sitting there saying that Gabriel Jesus doesn't score enough goals that Eddie Nketiah doesn't score enough goals, but then you're calling for Olivier Giroud, the same guy that you said never used to score enough goals back in the day, then how does that make sense? That's one of those classic examples of an absolute nonsense narrative being pumped out off the back of a disappointing afternoon. If it's not the strikers getting blamed, it's um, Kai Havertz getting blamed. It's David Raya getting blamed. All of a sudden, Emile Smith-Rowe, who barely got a mention last season because we were so good without him. And of course, he had his injury problems. Barely got a mention in the first half of this season, generally speaking, because again, we were picking up results. All of a sudden, he's the saviour now, despite having not kicked the ball hardly for the last two years. And we should all turn to him. And Mikel Arteta is this awful, awful manager because he chose to play Kai Havertz yesterday instead of Emile Smith-Rowe. Make it make sense. I think we need a reset. I think we've become a little bit predictable in terms of our patterns of play, as I explained on the podcast yesterday. And I think when you add to that, the fact that individual players are not performing at the same level, then you've got a bit of a problem and it explains and highlights. I think why we're struggling at this moment in time, it's a culmination of things. That's why I keep saying that it's not that cut and dry. You can't say it's because we signed Kai Havertz. You can't say it's because we signed... David Raya. You can't say it's because Martinelli's not playing well. You can't say it's because Thomas Partey's out. You can't say any one of those things and ignore everything else. It's a culmination of issues that have got us to this point. It's a culmination of problems that we've seen. Now, people keep telling me, well, no, hold on a minute. This isn't just about West Ham and Fulham. This goes back even further. This goes back even further. It goes back to Newcastle, somebody said to me earlier today. Well, we were robbed against Newcastle. A draw at St. James's Park, given, you know, what Newcastle achieved last season, a Champions League side, I think would have been a very, very respectable result. But all of a sudden, because we've lost a couple of games further down the line now, that, that goes out the window. The fact that A, we were robbed and B, that a draw at St. James's Park, which is what we would have achieved had we not been robbed, um, is all of a sudden a bad result. A defeat at Aston Villa. You know, people keep telling me that Unai Emery is um, the best manager in world football at this moment in time and deserves all the flowers in the world. And that's fine because he's done a great job with Aston Villa and they are flying high. But then you can't say that and at the same time, say that going and losing narrowly at Aston Villa, again, a game in which we probably could have had a penalty, should have had a penalty, and certainly had the chances to take something from, you can't say that is a disgraceful result either, because then that contradicts your point about Unai Emery. You look at some of the individuals in our team at this moment in time, Martin Erdekard, Bukayo um, Saka, Gabriel Martinelli, Gabriel Jesus, they just haven't been as good as they were last season. They haven't been as effective as they were last season, part of that is down to system tweaks and changes, agreed. And Mikel Arteta has to take some responsibility for that, agreed. But failing to take on your man, failing to beat your player, failing to put away a chance, that's on the player's individual performance. And that has to be pinned on them. So again, it backs up the point that I was making earlier. You can't just say it's one thing or the other. There's loads of factors here. Loads of factors. I don't think Zinchenko has been anywhere near as good as he was last season. I think there were always question marks about him defensively, but I don't think he's been able to get into midfield and dictate games in the same way. I think we've desperately, desperately missed Thomas Partey. Um, You know, you could say, well, you know, we shouldn't be relying on Thomas Partey anymore in this day and age because we know what his injury record looks like. And I'm inclined to agree with that. Jurian Timber was brought in to be that guy that could come in and play Zinchenko's role, go into midfield, help us out in the build-up, but also a far more accomplished defender. And we've been without him all season. Takahiro Tomiyasu missing um, for a while again, and he's back now yesterday, but had to be forced on uh, because Jakub Kivior is not performing at left-back. And again, the left-back thing, that's on Mikel Arteta for me because Kivior isn't a fullback. But even still, Kivio looks slow. He looks off the pace. He's not performing at the level required. You know, we don't have a divine right to win the Premier League every single season. And I think people need to remember that. You know, you think about the, what, 22-year stint that the great Arsene Wenger had at the football club. We won the league three times. 97-98, 2001-2002, 2003-2004. And obviously, that wasn't good enough for people in that second half of that stint. And I agree with that. But people looked at it for the most part and said, yeah, but look at look at the circumstances. Look at the emergence of Chelsea. Look at the emergence of Manchester City. Look at everything that's going on, the stadium build, the, the lack of finances as a result of that. And people at the beginning were quite understanding of that. Over time, people got frustrated because our level was declining further and further. And I get that. But sometimes as football fans, I just think you need to look at the wider picture as well. And, you know, you can't always be so knee-jerk in your reactions and ignore the landscape around you. If I go back to the last time that Arsenal won the league, so I'll go all the way back to the 3 4 season and I look at what's happened since then. Leicester City won it by... I don't want to say fluke because that's disrespectful to Leicester, but that was just a miracle, an anomaly, wasn't it? And Liverpool have won it once during that time. All of the rest of the time, it has been Manchester United, Chelsea, and Manchester City that have been crowned Premier League champions. The richest club in the league in Manchester United in terms of what they generate and all the rest of it. And then the two clubs with I don't know what term I should use here without getting in trouble one with a, a a Russian oligarch owner who was eventually found to have been doing all sorts with the money that he was funding through the football club who has left the country now and was forced to sell the club and the other club owned by a state um who now have 115 financial breaches Um, being charged against them as we speak at this moment in time. So if that doesn't tell you what it takes to win the Premier League, then I don't know what does. Because in that entire period from 2003, 2004 to now, the only two sides that have managed to break that duck has been Leicester on that one occasion and Liverpool, who for all their brilliance under Jurgen Klopp have only won one Premier League title a club of Liverpool's size, have only won the Premier League title once in 30-odd years, more than 30 years. So why do Arsenal have a divine right to win the Premier League at the start of the season? The fact that you went into the season thinking that Arsenal should and could win the league is a testament to the progress that we've made and is a testament to the job that Mikel Arteta has done. So if you're now, a year after, a title challenge that none of us saw coming. Some of you were saying that he couldn't go any better than eighth. Some of you were saying that we were barely going to finish in the champions league places that we were barely going to make Europe with this guy and that we needed to get rid of him after we failed to make the champions league in the season prior. Then he goes and mounts a title challenge. He's still in the title race now. And people are crying and saying he needs to get out and he's let us down. And he's, he's the problem. He's the crux of all problems. no, The reason you had expectation going into this season, the reason you had hope going into this season and should still have hope, by the way, is because of the transformation that Mikel Arteta and Edu have overseen at this football club. Nobody in sport has a divine right to win anything. And so if I I asked the question yesterday on the podcast, and I apologize that this episode sounds like a bit of a rant, but you know what it is. It is because I've been disgusted actually by some of the stuff I've been reading over the course of the day you know it's just to me it's just so unnecessary it's so over the top and it's mad honestly um we're having a blip at the moment that's 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 what it is we're having a blip and there are a number of reasons for that which we've discussed I also asked the question on the post-match Fulham pod yesterday I said guys if we were to finish second to Manchester City again would you describe the season as a failure would you say that we had overachieved, or would you have said that we achieved what you expected? So the the base level, would you say that we met our base level objective? And lots of you said in the live chat yesterday that if we finished second to Manchester City, but we were in... Um, you know, we were in the race and, and we'd gone far again, but we'd missed out to a side that won the treble last season uh, with those charges outstanding, with an incredible squad and group of players and with arguably the best manager of all time. A lot of you said, no, I, I could I could get that. Like, I'm not going to be happy with it. Obviously, you always want to aspire to win, but you'd you'd accept that, wouldn't you? You'd say that, you know, even if you're not happy, you you certainly wouldn't label it as a failure is the point I'm trying to make. So why are people online today calling for Mikel Arteta to be sacked? I saw someone say if he doesn't win his next three games, he needs to be sacked. I saw somebody say today that if he doesn't win the FA Cup tie against Liverpool, a very, very good side, that he should be given his P45 and sent on his way. What? What are people on about? People need to support and get behind the team. The January transfer window is open. Um and although that gives us a chance to strengthen the squad and strengthen the group, I actually think that it's kind of going to be counterproductive at this moment in time because all the noise is going to be for the next month now. It's January 1st today. Why aren't we signing Ivan Tony? That's all we're going to hear. Why aren't we signing Ivan Tony? I'll tell you why we're probably not going to sign Ivan Tony because the £100 million sum that Brentford are supposedly uh, looking for is a crazy amount of money. It is a crazy amount of money. It's not an insignificant sum that Stan Kroenke and Josh Kroenke can just throw at Brentford Football Club and get the deal done. There are other factors here as well. I remember when Arteta came in and I remember sort of in his first year, year and a half, I remember sort of looking around that squad and thinking, my God, it's so bad. Like, there are so many overplayed, overhyped Um, players within that squad that we just cannot get rid of and we kept saying the club need to start fresh the club need to rip it all out and start again the club need to go from zero again give Mikel Arteta the support give him um, the grace period to be able to carry that out and make sure that we see a complete overhaul now in order to make that overhaul happen we needed to terminate people's contracts to speed it up we needed to um do that a to get them out of the way but b to be able to release funds in terms of like sort of weekly money and and monthly money so that we could pay players that we wanted to bring on board and all the rest of it we all knew at that time when arsenal were buying 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 but not selling we all knew at that time that there would come a point, And I said this on here many, many times. Those of you that have been listening for a while will know that. I said many a times that there will come a point where the buying will have to slow down because, yes, we're earning increased revenues at this moment in time because we're in the Champions League and all the rest of it. Great. But we knew that at some point, the fact that we'd been buying, 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 buying and not selling for any significant value really was going to catch up with us and put us in this place where we have that predicament with financial fair play. And that's where we are now. So I still think Arsenal probably do strengthen in some way, somehow, come um, the end of this month. But if you're expecting us to go and drop £100 million on a striker, I think the likelihood is that you'll be um, disappointed. I think it's also, and it's important to make this point, okay to be frustrated To be deflated, to be emotional in the aftermath of a game in which you feel you've dropped some really, really vital points. What's not fine is to call yourself a supporter when the reality is that some of you have been waiting the best part of two years to have an excuse to call for Mikel Arteta's head again. You know why? Because you called for it in the beginning and you're too stubborn to say that he's done a good job and that you were wrong. That's the bit that gets on my nerves. We all know why we didn't win the league last year. Arteta wasn't the reason. Has he changed our style this season? Yes. I think he has to own that because I think that is part of the reason that we're not performing as well as we did last season. Um, He has to own that particular part of the problems that we have at this moment in time. And, you know, that is on him, of course. Um, I'm not I'm not sitting here saying that Mikel Arteta has zero accountability. He has accountability. He's the manager of the football club. Of course he does. And his job is to get results. But I'm just saying that there's a far more complex picture here. And you cannot just look at one player, look at, you know, Havertz, right? He turned the corner recently. He started scoring goals. I think he got four goals in his last eight starts for Arsenal, something like that. starts contributing. Starts contributing in midfield, but also contributes in terms of in front of goal, scoring important goals, scoring, um, you know, and, you know, helping the team to earn results. And at the first sign of trouble, again, I feel really, really sorry for him because he's been thrown under the bus again. Why is he specifically being thrown under the bus? I don't get it. I, I, I just don't get it. David Raya, I don't think did much wrong yesterday. I don't think he did anything wrong yesterday. I don't think he could have been expected to save... Um, any of the goals that Fulham scored. I think the defending in the lead up was poor. So then, you know, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Yeah, maybe the system's different and maybe that's upset the balance and the rhythm a little bit. But individuals are not doing the same level of job that they were doing last season. You know, you look at some of the goals we've conceded in the last couple of games, two of them, one against West Ham and one against Fulham, have come from a defender going to clear the ball and kicking it against one of his other defenders, not deliberately, of course, it's just unfortunate, and the ball dropping right on the foot of someone in the position to punish us. Sometimes your luck's against you as well. And I think it's really, really important that when you analyse football matches, you know, luck can play a big part, and getting the rub of the green can play a big part. I think it's really, really important when you analyse football that you have the ability to look at what is a system problem, what is um, somebody on an individual level not doing their job to the same level and what is something that is just beyond your control I think you need to break your analysis down into those three parts you know why because you can't do anything about being unlucky with where the ball is dropping right that that will happen at times it will drop in your favor that's just the way it goes you can't spend a session on the training ground trying to rectify that because you can't rectify that because it's just pot luck sometimes. The ball can go in any one direction. You know, it's a it's round. It can go anywhere. That's how it goes. Um that's what physics mean, you know. It I think there are things that you can control and there are things that you can't control. And I think you need to make sure that you can differentiate between the factors you can control and the ones that you can't so that you spend the time in the right places. I think there is a lot to discuss. I think there's a lot of valid conversations going on about certain players their individual performances at the moment the system and as january continues we're going to keep picking up on this and we're going to keep talking about some of these issues but to just be as simplistic and i think as as i don't want to say a word that's going to offend people but i just think and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you I just think, yeah, if we're going to sit there and and sort of be as simplistic as saying, we'll just sack Mikel Arteta and that'll fix it. I think that's that's completely wild. Um, Ankit says, that's a ridiculous argument. Luck was the end of it. The things leading up to that point is poor defending. I said that. I literally said that. If you go back to the West Ham pod, um, when I was talking about that game, I said, well, the ball was put in uh, into the box and Arsenal could have defended it much better before that. I said that on the show yesterday that I thought that Declan Rice could have done better in dealing with the initial delivery of the corner from which um, Bobby the Cordova-Reed scored. I think there's loads that we can do in the build-up. And that's my point, though. You should be focusing on fixing those things because those are the things you can control. Not about where the ball ends up bouncing and all the rest of it. Lie says, Harry, we're just playing very badly. We just cannot understand how these players are not performing. Let me put this to you. Let me put this to you. Is there a chance, is there a chance that what you saw from Arsenal last season was an overachievement? Is there a chance of that? And that what you're seeing this season is a bit of a levelling out? Because last season, when we were flying high and everybody and their dog were saying, Arsenal are going to win the league, I kept saying, we're punching above our weight at this moment in time. And at some point, this is going to level out. Now, part of the reason that it leveled out was because we lost key players at key moments. And I still think that that's the biggest factor as to why Arsenal didn't win the Premier League last season. But sometimes you need to accept that you're in good moments and you're in bad moments. And you're in good patches and you're in bad patches. I I just yeah I just think I I just think that football isn't that clear cut I think that football isn't that cut and dry deflected mind says Arteta doesn't rotate Harry that's the reason we lost Tommy last year due to injury overplaying has been a feature in Arteta's teams since the start this is one aspect he didn't learn his lessons Tommy Asu wasn't in our starting 11 when everybody was fit and available last season so I don't know why why you would pick him as an example of someone that wasn't rotate. If you said it about Saliba, if you said it about um, Thomas Partey, who played every time he was fit, if you told me it was about Saka, who played every time he was available, sometimes when he was unfit, he was still forced to play. I would completely agree with you. And I thought that this season we'd see more of that. And I do believe that that was the intention at the start of the campaign. But look how many players we've been without at various points this season. So you can build out the squad. You know, I I said to you guys, I thought at the start of the season that our defensive unit bringing in Jurian Timber was now complete. And then bang, half an hour into the first game of the season or whatever it was, a few minutes into the second half, first game of the season, Jurian Timber goes off with an injury and you're without him. And that work that you did over the summer, that 30 odd million pounds that you paid over the summer to complete that unit of your team to put you in a position where you could rotate, it's now been taken away from you. Thomas Partey, not available, again, for a long period of time. And if you read what uh, Chris Hutton was saying today about the reasons that he's not in the Ghana squad, you fear the worst, don't you? You really, really do. You fear the worst. Have a look, at, have a listen to this. Um, Hold on a second. Uh, where is it? I took a screenshot of this earlier because I wanted to read it to you guys. So this is what uh, Ghana boss Chris Hutton had to say earlier today, because for those of you that maybe have missed this, um, Thomas Partey is not in the Ghana squad uh, to go to the AFCON. He's not been called up. And these were the reasons uh, that Chris Hewton gave. Thomas Partey is one of our most important players. Without his injury, he would certainly be in the squad. We know the quality of player that he is. This is a player that suffered a substantial injury. I've spent a lot of this period of time with Thomas and also been engaged with the medical staff at Arsenal. They will treat this injury with caution and so will the player. This is a big injury for him, the biggest injury he's had. The most important thing for me as head coach is to give him the support he needs during this period of time. From all the information we've been given, the timeliness of his recovery and the caution that will be taken... His recovery will not meet our timelines for the AFCON. So Thomas Partey, judging by that, is nowhere near back. He's a big, big player for us. We keep talking about the midfield. He'd have been in that midfield every week. I'm certain of it. Had he been fit alongside Rice, alongside Odegaard, Havertz would have been in and out of the team. Then you'd have had that ability to rotate others. You know, we talked about it against West Ham. You know, Martinelli is out of form but you're without Vieira. Smith Rowe hasn't had a kick for a long, long time. So could you have started him in that game? I don't think you could have started him. I don't think he had more than 15 minutes in the tank. You know, you've got no Thomas Partey and a few weeks before you had no Jorginho either. So you can bring in players, but if you're suffering with a number of injuries at any one time, then Kai Havertz, of course, had that suspension as well against West Ham, so we missed him there. It, It just becomes... Far more complex and complicated. And that's why you can never predict totally what's going to happen. You can't keep saying, as well, this is the best league in the world because um anyone can beat anyone. And then when someone that you don't expect to beats you, go, oh my God, our team are finished. It's the end of the world. It's just all so knee jerk. Like genuinely, right? I, this is the last thing I'm going to say on my rant that has lasted over half an hour now. And then I'm going to throw it over to you guys for questions, please. Start putting them in the chat box. Questions. Put a Q at the beginning. I'll answer anything. Don't matter how much you want to come at me. Go for it. Um, that's what we're here for. But the last thing I'll say is, genuinely, yeah, football is a great outlet. Yeah, football is for us um, something that we turn to for for fun um, to give us a bit more purpose to you know be part of a community, etc. There's people have varying reasons as to why they follow football. To the same, you know, to this level and to this extent. I'm not a life coach or anything like that. Okay. I'm the last person that you probably want to take life coaching um, advice from. But if you go through life being as reactionary as some people are when it comes to Arsenal, how do you keep your head? How do you keep, how do you achieve anything? How do you move forward in life? How do you progress? if at the first sign of trouble, rather than trying to fix it or giving support um, in the areas that it's needed so that you can try and improve and get back on track, you just lose your head. How do you progress? How do you live like that? And I think for me, football is a part of my life and I have to apply some of the same principles that I would apply in my everyday life to the way that I consume and feel about football, because if I don't, I will go crazy. I just don't understand the reactionary nature of people these days to the point where a manager who took us on an incredible ride last season and is still very much in the title race this season is having people call for him to be sacked because we lost back-to-back games in the Premier League as if that has never, ever happened in the history of football. It happens. It's happened to better teams And it's happened to better managers than Mikel Arteta in the past. So that's where I'm going to leave it with my rant. Now I'm going to take your questions after this very, very short pause. Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere at all. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Welcome back along to the show. Um, Thank you for bearing with me. Um, I wasn't as interactive with the chat as I normally try to be because i I just had so much that I wanted to get off my chest. I'm not feeling too well again today. Um, My family have all had a cold over the course of Christmas. Um, We had a wedding on the 29th. Um, Really, really close friend of mine was on best man duty. And I really was desperately trying to avoid picking up this cold um, from my wife and my two kids who all had it at the time so that it wouldn't spoil my enjoyment of the wedding. And I managed to get away with it. But I woke up yesterday um, feeling a little bit iffy. And this morning, it has got me again. Um, so I, like, thought about podcasting earlier on today. And I thought about kicking off with our kind of transfer chat, given that the window is now, of course, officially open. But over the course of the day, I've been chilling. I've been watching the darts. I've been, um, you know, watching a, a film with the kids, whatever. I've been scrolling through social media and just reading some of the nonsense that's been said and and also on top of that um, reading some of the comments on yesterday's show and I just thought no you know what I need to get this off my chest for me if nobody else <laughs> but anyway let's get over to the live chat then because there are loads of good questions coming through and that's why I love you guys um, even if I don't always agree with you I love the fact Um, that you do put great questions in, and it makes doing a one-man podcast much, much easier. Um, Junior Gunner says, Arteta is the right man, but these players don't have the stomach or minerals to win a 38-game season. I think that's incredibly harsh to say of a group of players that are still very young in the most part. I think I'll always refer back to the point of look at how tough it's been for Liverpool to win the Premier League. They've done it once. There were seasons where they were achieving 90 plus points and still not winning the league. I don't look at that Liverpool team and say they are bottle jobs and say they are not good enough and say that Jurgen Klopp wasn't good enough. I just say that they were up against an absolute beast in Manchester City, a side who now I look back at and I have question marks over how they got to where they got. So, I think, again, this is a classic example of where you need to apply context. That Liverpool side with Salah, Mane and Firmino up front, Van Dijk at the back, Alisson, you know, I know a lot of that is still there. But that side at that point is one of the best sides the Premier League has ever seen in terms of the level and the standard that they performed at and produced at every single week, yet they only have one Premier League title to show for it. Why? Because you need to apply the context. And this is a good example of what what i've been basically going on about for the last half an hour because they didn't win the league last season you're going to say they don't have the stomach or minerals to win it against any other competitor last season they win it so i don't think anyone else is capable of going on the run that city did in that second half of the season and um and and pipping us to the title um fan chowdhury says uh, harry do you think us chasing would be more beneficial for us, rather than being hunted, the pressure is different and so are the expectations. I do think the Champions League is more realistic. I've always said that the Champions League is is certainly a more realistic target. Why? Because it's a cup competition and cup competitions where there are limited games, um, where you're not playing Premier League opposition all the time. Yes, you're playing some of Europe's elite, but given the gap between the Premier League and some of the other divisions, you would fancy that the Premier League teams are among those with the best chance of winning So I do think the Champions League is easier to win than a 38-game Premier League title. Totally agree with that. Um, Do I think that we're better off chasing rather than being chased? Maybe. You know, we were chased last season, and in the end, it got to us. Um, Mainly because of injuries, but there were moments as well where we made silly mistakes, costly errors at key times because I think the pressure maybe did get to us a little bit. So maybe, who knows, we're going to have to wait and see I think that's a good kind of example of I was talking about the last question being one where we're kind of maybe jumping to conclusions. This is a good example of maybe looking at things with a glass half full mentality rather than a glass half empty. And that's what I think fans should do at times. You know, Um, Declan Maguire says, Harry, how critical was Xhaka to our system? Was he great last season going forward? But the way he used to cover left back position was vital. No hate on Havertz, but he just doesn't do this. Yeah, I think. Uh, Granit Xhaka brought the perfect balance. And that was why I kept saying to you guys when we were um, rumoured to be moving him on in the summer that it didn't make sense to me that Kai Havertz was going to come in and be that player. Now, over time, I think Kai Havertz has done a pretty good job there, but it's changed the balance of the team. And this is one of the things that's on Mikel Arteta. I think one of the reasons Mikel maybe felt comfortable in bringing a more attack-minded player to play in that left eight position was because if he knew he was getting Declan Rice in, he thought that Declan Rice could deal with a bigger workload maybe in the central areas from a defensive standpoint than perhaps Thomas Partey can. So that's the difference. But again, as I said earlier on, the tweaking of the balance and the potential upsetting of the balance, you know, that is something that, you know, Mikel Arteta has to take responsibility for. I don't sit here and say that he's perfect. I don't sit here and say that he never ever gets anything wrong. I just, I'm, I just don't like the knee jerk reaction. I'm fine with people saying, I don't agree with this. I don't agree with that. I would have done this differently. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. It's when that opinion crosses the line and just becomes stupid and moronic and childish that I can't deal with it. And that's what gets under my skin. And that's what winds me up. Um, what else have we got? Um, lots of similar questions. So I don't want to, um, I I don't want to basically go over the same stuff, so I'm just going to pick up a few more. Uh, Melesi says, on FFP, who is to blame for purchases of Deadwood? Marie, Vieira, Kivio, Turner, Laconga, Tavares, Cedric, Runison. They're over 14. Surely, was this prudent? Where is the accountability? So I agree with this. Um, Mikel Arteta's recruitment, Edu's recruitment, the recruitment that the pair have overseen, on the whole, generally, has been very, very good. And the big money signings have tended to work. There have been some that were made for slightly less money, Pablo Marie, uh, Matt Turner, Nuno Tavares, Cedric Munison, that haven't worked out. But they didn't cost an awful lot of money. They are not the reason that Arsenal are sailing close to FFP. Obviously, if you don't make those signings, then it helps. But is it as significant a help as, you know... You know, as maybe people want to make it out to be. I agree that a lot of those signings haven't worked out. Pablo Marie was a short-term thing at a time when Mikel Arteta was um, still trying to overhaul the squad. Fabio Vieira, I think there are questions about him. Uh, Jakub Kivior, I don't think there are questions about him as a centre-back. I like him as a centre-back, just don't like him as a left-back. Matt Turner was poor, but we managed to sell him on. Uh, Laconga, he's on loan and I think we'll get some money for him in the summer. Will we get what we paid for him? No, so we'll make a loss on that one. Tavares will probably make a loss as well but that's more of a reflection on him because we only paid eight million for him um Cedric didn't we get him for free but I think it was the contract that we um gave him that meant that we were stuck with him for a bit and runison the amount of money we spent on him was minimal the point I'm trying to make is you're right there are signings that haven't worked out and that were not good enough but I don't think they are a big reason or a big part of why we're in the position that we're in with FFP Um, Mark Jerome says, why do you think Emile Smith-Rowe isn't getting a break when he has come on in recent games for a few minutes? He's that lively and had some good touches. I don't know is the answer. Um, There's obviously something that Mikel Arteta isn't sure about. And I can't put my finger on whether it's his fitness levels or if it's something more than that. Is it an attitude thing? And again, I don't know this. So I'm not trying to paint Emil smith row in a bad light. I'm not trying to say that Mikel Arteta is, um, has got an issue with him. I I, I don't want to do that because I don't know that. But I do look at it sometimes and think, well, he's like the last option that we turn to. But equally, I do think, well, this guy has been out of the picture for the last year and a half, pretty much. Um, and so what reason does Mikel Arteta have to have faith in him? unless it's a last resort. So I think this argument goes both ways. Um, As I say, I I wouldn't have him in my team over Kai Havertz right now. And then would I have him on the left instead of Martinelli? Maybe on current form, we're at a point where we should give him a chance because Martinelli's not performing. But then I would argue that Leandro Trossard has been um, more important to Arsenal over the last year and a half. And that's why Mikel has the loyalty to him maybe ahead of Smith Rowe so it's a complicated one on the one hand how can he fight his way back into the team if he doesn't get any opportunities I get that but by that same token has Mikel seen enough to say yeah you know what he is back and I I could really do with him and so you know even with the fitness thing I'm going to take a bit of a risk I'm going to take a bit of a gamble I'm going to try and get him back up to speed I don't know I don't know um, Sefi Roth says, uh, look, you said Arteta was the right man last season and no trophy won. Has Jürgen Klopp won a trophy every season he's been in charge of Liverpool? You know, he's won a lot. But you don't always win trophies like y- you don't always win trophies. That's, you know, football doesn't work like that. Last season, we were in a position where, um, you know, yeah, we got knocked out of the Europa League. One off game at home to Sporting. Um, we got done. It wasn't good enough um and then we got to the point where all attention turned to the league and in hindsight come january or whatever would i have would i have gambled on the fa cup if it meant that i was going to risk doing damage to my title charge no i wouldn't have i would have done exactly what mikel arteta did and i would have done exactly the same thing i would have gone in pursuit of the premier league title because a it's the big one and b it was the one that we were in a good position to win you know we went out we went out of the fa cup away to man city last season by the way as well it's not like we went away to um you know bristol rovers or something and got dumped out on our asses you know we went away to manchester city and got beaten we made a whole host of changes that night they didn't by the way they made two changes i remember because i commentated on that game we made six or seven and we competed really really well really well Um. What else have we got? Um, Andy Jackson says, which player has Arteta improved? The whole team's improved over the course of his tenure. That's why Arsenal are title challengers now. And that's why you're all upset that we've lost a couple of games back to back and that we're two points off the top at the time of recording. Has he managed that without improving anyone? I don't think so. Come on, man. Come on. Come on. Uh, Seth Roth says, Harry, why do you back Arteta like he's a relative? The man is a joke. Our recruitment has been utterly rubbish. Havertz instead of Kudus letting Tierney go, not having a Saka replacement. I like to judge people on merit. I judge people on how good a job they've done. And I judge people on the overall job that they've done. The fact that everybody is on this stream right now and is feeling downbeat and disappointed about the fact that Arsenal are two points off the top is a a testament and an indication of how the guys raised the standards at our football club from what they were prior to his arrival. So he's still done a very, very good job overall. And I don't mind people coming up with constructive criticisms. And I don't mind people, as I've mentioned three or four times now on this episode, saying, I don't agree with this. I don't agree with that. I think this was wrong. I think that was wrong. I would have done this differently. What I have a problem with is people being knee-jerk and being childish and being over-the-top reactionary. Havertz instead of Kudus. I mean, Kai Havertz is doing fine. I don't know why everybody, I said it at the beginning, why do we always blame Kai Havertz? Why is Kai Havertz the source of our problems? Because he was an easy scapegoat at Chelsea. We need to continue that at Arsenal now. Letting Kieran Tierney go. Kieran Tierney has been injured for three bloody seasons pretty much and not contributed hardly anything to Arsenal. Do you know how many times Arsenal ended up messing competitions up. There's some of those Europa League campaigns at the beginning of Mikel Arteta's tenure fell apart because Tierney couldn't stay fit and we had to play people like Granit Xhaka at left-back or Cedric Suarez at left-back. The revisionism is unreal. The guy was great when he first came in. Then he picked up injury after injury after injury. And when we changed to a system where we were asking our left-back to invert, he simply could not do it. He simply could not do it. Is he a good fullback? Yeah, in a traditional system, he's a good left back and he's doing okay at the moment. But this idea, this notion that Kieran Tierney is going to come in and fix all our problems, he's mad. The reason we have a problem at left back at the moment is because Tommy Asu and Timber are injured. That's why we have a problem there. And if we're going to sit there and say that Tommy Asu is unreliable fitness-wise, how the hell are you going to throw Kieran Tierney up as the alternative option? That's what I'm struggling with. Um, Not having a sack of replacement. How do you replace a player that's that good? Like, you know, whoever you bring in would sit on the bench nine out of every 10 games. So, you know, I, I agree that that's a position we need to strengthen in, but I don't think it would have been the number one position at the top of the agenda and at the top of the list going into last summer and I'm not surprised that we didn't do it we did try didn't we we tried with Rafinha there were others as well that we were linked to but we just didn't get any of those deals over the line because sometimes these deals and whether they go through or not is not just within the hands of Mikel Arteta um I'm gonna take uh one or two um more uh, Shayla says uh, you were right about Havertz, Harry. I was sp- skeptical, but he, he really has come along. He has; he's come along brilliantly. He really, really has. Um, who's the wind-up merchant? Bill, me. <laughs> um, what else have I got? Uh, what else have we got? What else have we got? Um, the DJ Suite says, Harry, I don't know how you do this without telling people to f off. <laughs> uh, what else have we got? Donna Deja Vu says the team has regressed after spending 200 million in the summer, more goals conceded and 10 fewer goals scored compared to last season after the same amount of games. But what if the team goes on and wins a trophy? What if come the end of the season, Arsenal are Premier League champions or FA Cup winners or UEFA Champions League winners, but they've scored less goals, conceded more, um, after the same amount of games would you say that that is the team regressing or will you turn around at that point and go oh my god Mikel Arteta won us a major trophy great what a hero this is this is where I get annoyed at kind of the way that some of the analysis is done you know because for example goals goals conceded Yep, yeah, these are metrics that you should take into consideration and these are Things that you should use as as points in your argument, but they shouldn't always be the basis of your argument. And I'll tell you why. Eddie Nketiah scored a hat trick in one Premier League game, right? And as a result of that, I think going into the weekend, he was our joint top goal scorer in the Premier League, along with Bukayo Saka. Do you think Eddie Nketiah is our best? Is our best player, or is it a massive important part? Um, of our side, because I don't think he is. But if I looked at that stat alone in isolation, I would think he was because he, he stat padded in a game. Um, was it against Sheffield United? He stat padded in the game against Sheffield United. Stats should help you um, develop opinions, but as I always say to you, they shouldn't be the be all and end all of your opinion. Because if Arsenal go on and win the league, or let's say Arsenal um, conceded more goals, scored less than last season, but finished closer to manchester city in terms of points come the end of the season would you say that was regression or would you then look at it through a different lens and go well actually the league was tougher this year and as a result of that it was harder to keep as many clean sheets it was harder to score as many goals but in terms of what we achieved we were closer to the top than we were the season before all of this stuff forget it for now look at it at the end of the season is the point i'm making then we can judge whether the team's um regressed and and whether the team um is actually going backwards. Okay. Um, anyway, I'm I'm gonna leave it there. Um, thank you all so, so much um for your interaction. I do really appreciate it. Even when you disagree with me, I love it. It's it's good to have these conversations. I really, really do enjoy it. Really, really um, really, really appreciate it. Um, Ian Wallace says, and this is a good bit of balance, he says, well, I agree with Harry and I disagree. I'd be holding Arteta more accountable than he is but i agree that the calls to sack him are ridiculous um lemon says seems i'm the only person in this chat that agrees with you harry uh, the chronicles of Akuna is one of my favorite podcasts happy new year harry hope 2024 is a good one um thank you and to you guys um really really appreciate all your support over 2023 um let's let's go bigger and better in 2024 uh, really really looking forward to what the year holds um hopefully we'll be talking about some success from an Arsenal point of view, come the end of the campaign as well. That would be great, wouldn't it? And then maybe we'd all agree for once. Um, Thank you all as ever. Uh, Don't forget to leave a like on the video. In fact, I'm going to check where we're at on likes at the moment because we've had hundreds of you watching live uh, throughout the program. Um, We're over 100 likes. Why can't we get to 150, 200? We should easily be able to make that. Um, Thank you for all your comments. Um, Those that agree, those that disagree, I'm more than happy to have that in the chat as long as we're all respectful to one another as long as we all um talk about things properly i'm i'm good uh with that so don't ever feel like if you disagree with me like you can't put that comment in the chat um because i will read them i will respond to them in the best way that i can and um and the this the discussion and the debate is is really really healthy happy new year to every one of you once again and i will see you all tomorrow with more until then take care of yourselves guys have a great evening Goodbye.